Hi everyone, welcome to the True Crime Podcast, where we focus on local San Diego cases. My name is Arena. And I'm Renette. And today, Arena, I'm going to talk about a guy named Raymond Rogers. Okay. So I don't think I, I, I don't think that sounds familiar, but it sounds interesting. Yes. So he was an aspiring actor. He had a part in the TV series Renegade. So uh, I never heard of Renegade. Actually, when I mentioned it, Sal heard of the show and he was like, yeah, it was like really cheesy. Yeah, it sounds familiar, but I, I can't like pinpoint it. Like, yeah. What year was that from? Okay, so I think it was in it was in 1993. Oh, okay. um, Sal said that he only knew about this show because he didn't have cable growing up, and so he was just like kind He's of stuck to like seven channels. <laughs> That's right. That's Same right. With Christina, Christina, she only she didn't have cable, and so every time she would hang out with one of us, she'd be like, "Can we watch like Comedy Central or like oh, she'd get excited, Disney Channel?" <laughs> Right. So I wouldn't know the struggle of that because I grew up having cable. Oh, me too, yeah. <laughs> oh, too bad for them. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Losers. Just kidding. <laughs> I will take that part off. Um, no, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> so Renegade, it was a TV series that was mostly filmed in San Diego. And it was about a police officer played by an actor named Lorenzo Llamas. He was a cop who was framed for murder and he escaped on his motorcycle to become this like bounty hunter that was fighting for justice. Oh, okay. Sounded interesting to me, but according to Sal, it was cheesy. I mean, it was the early 90s, you know, pretty cheesy stuff. Right. (laughs) So Raymond Rogers, he played a small part in that show and he also played roles for a local Crime Stoppers program. So he played bank robbers, murderers, and other sort of like felon type of roles. Is this practice or foreshadowing? (laughs) (laughs) Practice for this motherfucker. He's like, I got to get all this knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So there's a woman named Linda Zweig. And for a time, she actually coordinated that show. And Linda said that Roger's good looks and his long hair fit the role that directors wanted or fit the look that directors wanted for characters in the show. Okay. Raymond also played drums in a band. And according to the Los Angeles Times, Raymond was playing a show with a band called Mr. Butterfly to try out for a possible permanent spot in the band. Oh, Mr. Butterfly? (laughs) The name? Yeah. I mean... Do you, what kind of music was it? Do you know? Like- so I read uh, one article that said it was a heavy metal band and the other <laughs> said it was like a, a, an alternative, but it's like heavy metal, Mr. Al- Mr. Mr. Butterfly. Butterfly. <laughs> I know. It's probably an alternative. Yeah. I mean, unless they're trying to be like sarcastic about it. Right. <laughs> so... Another thing that Raymond did is he ran a window tinting business and it was called Made to Shade. Okay. So they did auto and residential commercial sort of tinting. Mm-hmm. And it was located in Miramar near the Miramar Air Base. So what when I heard of Made to Shade, I was like, oh, well, let me see if I can find if there's like this. I don't know if Yelp existed back then, but I just wanted to see if I can find more about his business. Yeah. And I ended up stumbling across an article, or I'm sorry, a writing that a guy named David Smith wrote on medium.com. Mm-hmm. And it was titled, 
the serial killer businessman on my supply route. Oh, snap. Okay. So at first I was kind of unsure where I should throw this reading into my story because Mm -hmm. obviously it's going to be um, like a spoiler. Yeah. But I just felt like it fit best to read this, you know, this writing that this David guy did right now. And I mean- like this is a true crime podcast, so it's right? Like, so it's like you know we're going to talk about murder. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so David, he worked for a distributor for a manufacturer of window films, and he writes about how he would deliver to Raymond's business. One day, David is training a guy named Aaron, and Aaron is this bleach blonde, spiky haired, surfer type punk rock dude. <laughs> Sounds really cool, right? And stereotypical San Diego, <laughs> right? And so David said that to he told Aaron, you know, because he's training him, and David said that Made to Shade was the account that paid the most commission. So he just kind of wanted to give Aaron some background info on Raymond. David said it was mostly so Aaron would ask Raymond questions about himself because people like Raymond, they like when people ask you questions and Mm -hmm. seemed interested in you. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to read you what David said he told Aaron about Raymond. Okay. He's a popular guy. Everyone loves him. All the girls at the office have crushes on him. He's always flying to some foreign country and brings each of them back something thoughtful. He's the drummer for a local alternative band that opened for REM at the stadium where the Padres and Chargers play. Oh, okay. So that's how David, you know, described Raymond mm-hmm. to Aaron. So if he's opening up for REM, I was like, I know, okay, that's he must have been right. Yeah. David said that one day. They pulled up to the strip mall where Made to Shade was located. To their surprise, the entire shop was surrounded by police. There was yellow tape all around. So David and Aaron see this, and they decide to drive around to the back. And there were cop cars that blocked access to that area. Mm -hmm. So David drives back to the front, and he sees the employees that he's seen every Friday when he made that delivery. And they were within the yellow tape, and he asked them, you know, what's going on? Is Raymond okay? Is he alive? And one of them responded saying, go buy a newspaper. Okay. Across the parking lot, there was a Denny's restaurant, and in front of the restaurant, there was a newspaper rack. So David and Aaron, they walk across the lot to the newspaper rack. And right there was Raymond's face on the front page of the damn San Diego Union Tribune with the headline, (gasps) Serial Killer Arrested After Police Find Fingers and Teeth of Most (gasps) Recent Victim. Fingers and teeth? Yes, Serena. fingers or fingernails? Severed fingers. Severed all 10? (laughs) Each one? Yes. So that they couldn't identify the, right? Right. No dental records, no fingerprints. And you'll hear, like, as I tell the story as to why I think he did that. You know, I can't even imagine how shocking it must have been for this David guy. Yeah. The person that you see every week, every Friday. And he's so charming and cool. And right, he had it all. He was the air quotes nice guy. Yeah, of course. And probably just thinking back to even just like the smiles you would exchange with this person, conversation. 
And then you find out he's a serial killer who dismembered some of his victims. That's so crazy. Yeah. Imagine, like, I mean, how many times do we walk by or, like, meet someone who has murdered someone? We don't know. I know. It's likely. Yeah. That's so creepy. Trust no one. (laughs) Right. Don't talk to anyone. (laughs) Don't trust anyone. That's why they say if, if, so if I end up, Missing or murdered arena, it, it was probably Sal. I was going to say, it's always the husband. <laughs> right. Probably Sal's don't. in the other room like, what the hell? <laughs> don't let that quiet man fool you. I know. <laughs> the nice, quiet. That's right. <laughs> so this was in 1996, okay? okay? He had his window tinting business, and he was actually, like I had mentioned, he was also a property manager for an apartment complex in the college area of San Diego. So near San Diego State University. Okay. Raymond had a friend named Ron Statt. Ron and Raymond, they were in the Navy together and they became really close friends at the time. Once out of the Navy, they both moved to San Diego. And Ron, he was married to a woman named Deborah. They both lived in Imperial Beach, okay? okay. In 1992, so I believe Ron was 29 years old. Their marriage, it just turned sour. It wasn't working out. And so Ron and his wife, Deborah, they get separate, separated. Okay. Ron ended up moving in with Raymond. And at first things were going well, but not long after Ron ended up moving out because he said that Raymond made him feel very uncomfortable. Oh, okay. That's odd. Then in April or May of 1993, Ron found out that Raymond was having an affair with his ex-wife, <gasps> Deborah. What, while they were still together? Yes. <gasps> oh, my God. He was the reason why they separated, you think? Or- I don't know. I mean, it doesn't say. It just said their relationship went sour. I mean, I'm if sure she that was having was- an affair, she could have grown more yeah. distant from him, right? Not yeah. wanting to sleep I with mean, him, maybe stuff exactly. like that. Changing her attitude towards him and right. not loving him anymore. That's wow. Yeah. So once Ron found that out, he planned on using the evidence of the affair to work in his favor for their child custody case because oh, they had kids. I don't oh. know if it was actually one or multiple, mm-hmm. but I know they had a ch- child's custody case coming up. Okay. Take a sip of my wine right quick. <laughs> then on June 24th, so about a month after the affair came to light, Ron was at work with his coworker, Michael. And Michael said that he heard Ron on the phone with Raymond and the both were just arguing. It was a super heated discussion. Mm-hmm. After that phone call, Ron told his coworker, Michael, that he was going to go to Raymond's apartment to pick up some jewelry that was that belonged to his ex-wife, Deborah. Oh, no. He went alone? Well, Bye. check this out. So, for some reason, actually, Ron didn't feel comfortable about it. So, uh-huh. he, he had asked Michael yeah. if he and his wife couldn't go with him yeah. because he said he felt that Raymond was setting him up. Hell, yeah, he was. Oh, my God. But Michael also didn't feel comfortable with it, so he didn't go. <laughs> He's, He's like, like that look, shit. man. <laughs> I, I love you. But I love my life, and I ain't trying to die. <laughs> and I ain't going to bring my wife into this either. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, I wonder how he felt after like, he finds out what happens later, right? Oh, God. Survivor's guilt. That's awful. 
And it ain't his fault, right? Like, no, of you know? course not. You can never, yeah, no, that, that sucks too. When like, um, people like, you know, family members and friends, when they lose someone and they think, oh, I should have driven him home or I should have walked her to her door. It's like, you couldn't have done anything really. No. Like, you know. It, what was going to happen happened. was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Unfortunately. So Ron left work that evening around 6.30, I think it was, to head to Raymond's apartment, and he goes solo. Mm -hmm. That same evening, Deborah, which is Ron's ex-wife, she drove to Raymond's apartment, and she's seen Ron driving into the apartment complex at around 6.30 or so. I'm sorry, I think it was like 6.45. And she said that she's seen Raymond following Ron in a separate car. When Raymond seen that Deborah was there and that Deborah had seen the two of them together, Raymond told Deborah to leave. He told her to leave in a very stern voice. So okay. she left. Okay. That would be the last time that Deborah seen Ron alive. <gasps> oh no. After that evening, no one else seen Ron alive. He never went into work the next day to pick up his paycheck. There was no activity on his credit or bank cards, nothing. It was just as if he vanished into thin air. Wow. Okay. The next day, Deborah seen Ron and she asked him why the two were together because she knew that Raymond and Ron, they weren't on good terms anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, Ron was very upset with Raymond, rightfully so. Yeah. I mean, he was screwing his soon-to-be ex-wife, so he had yeah. every reason to not like him. Anyway, Raymond told Deborah that Ron had stopped by to pick up a letter that he left at Raymond's apartment. Okay. A week later, so on July 2nd, an Imperial Beach detective questioned Raymond about Ron's disappearance. Mm -hmm. Raymond told the detective that the last time he seen Ron was June 24th. He told the detective that Ron went to pick up some jewelry so he told Deborah a ladder. He told the detective jewelry. Eventually, Deborah would ask again, what happened to Ron? And Raymond's friends would ask him, yeah. what happened to Ron? Raymond would give different answers. Sometimes he would say that Ron rode off into the sunset, or he would what? say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. What? Right. Okay. Okay, that's such or, a what? That's such a cheesy, dumb, like movie ending answer. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. Or he would say that Ron ran away so he didn't have to pay child support. Oh, okay. And other times he would say that he was killed in a fight, or he would say that he was mountain lion food. What? Oh my god! And like, it's like, are you? How stupid can you be to say different stories to different people? Because these people are probably going to talk to each other. I know, and it's not like he was just some random person with no family and like no reason to be alive and to want to stay in San Diego. He had a kid that he was trying to battle for custody over. Like, right, oh my god. right. One time, Deborah told Raymond that if he did anything to Ron, Ron would be easily identified due to the extensive dental work that Ron had done. When she said that to Raymond, <gasps> Raymond said that was the only mistake that he had made. <gasps> so why Deborah never went to the police with that sort of response, it boggles my mind because I feel like she knew in her gut that Raymond did something to Ron. Otherwise, why would she make that comment? 
And were they like still together together? Like Deborah and Raymond, were they like? No, they were just, I think they were just sleeping with each other and it was nothing more serious than that. Do you think she was like scared of him? Yes. Oh, shit. Yes. I mean, she knew that Ron and Raymond and Ron hated each other. She's seen with her own eyes that when Ron was last seen alive, he was with Raymond. Yeah. And Raymond told her to leave like in a very stern voice. I just feel like Deborah knew something deep down in her gut. The coworker that Michael guy knew that he was going over there, and that was like the last of that anyone knew of him. That he was literally gonna go to Raymond's. He asked Michael, "Can you come with me?" He said, "No, hell no, I'm not going over there." There's that guy's a psychopath, and now mm-hmm. he disappeared. Like obviously, right? Mm. So, two different women. One named Stacy and the other was named Gwytha. They later said that after Ron went missing, Raymond had called them on their unlisted home phone numbers. They said that they never gave Raymond their phone number, that there was no way Raymond would have had their numbers, but it's assumed that he got them from Ron's phone book. Also, Deborah said that after Ron went missing, Raymond had Ron's copy of Deborah's car key and also a radar detector that belonged to Ron. So again, Deborah sees that Raymond has these items that belong to Ron, and Raymond had no business having those items, and yet she doesn't say anything and, to the police about it. And he's calling people up in this guy's contacts? What? Yes. Two women. I don't know if, if it was Why? like to try and take them out on a day or, what? you know, what it was. He doesn't even know like the age of these women or like, you know, like who they are. <laughs> He's just calling them up, like hoping that they're say yes. <laughs> weirdo. <laughs> Fucking weirdo. <laughs> oh my God. Too bad there wasn't um, a Facebook group I back know. then called Are We Dating the Same Guy, San Diego? I know. I know. Everyone should get on that. Mm-hmm. Hell, I'm on it. And I'm married. <laughs> but you're like, like you said, you're a property manager. You need to know who you're, you know, like right. kind of dealing with. And make or sure my friends who are in relationships, friends, I want to yep. make sure that they're not or with these scumbags. And stuff, like, right. It's creepy. Mm-hmm. So eventually Ron's disappearance, you know, nothing comes of it. It just kind of like he vanished into thin air. Nothing comes. Nothing wow. comes of it. Yeah. Are you serious? Nothing like no arrests or with Raymond. There was not enough evidence to like convict him. Wow. Huh. Or to yeah. So I'm gonna go on next to a woman named Rose Albano. Okay. So I'm not exactly sure on the month, but I know it was towards the end of 1993. So maybe it was November or early December of 1993. Rose was living with Raymond. So Rose was uh, 33 years old at the time. And Rose told Raymond that she was pregnant with his kid. Mm -hmm. Raymond went to a few of his friends telling them what Rose said. And he told his friends that he didn't want this child. He wanted her to have an abortion. And I guess Rose had two other children from a previous relationship. And he told his friends that he didn't want to be responsible for those kids. And he also wanted her to move out of his apartment. But Rose refused to have the abortion. She would not give in to the idea of having that done. Mm -hmm. So on December 23rd, Raymond called the San Diego Police Department to report Rose missing. (gasps) 
Oh, my God. He told them that she was pregnant and that she probably had $6,400 cash on her that she pulled out from a retirement account. And when the police asked him when was the last time that they seen Rose, he said it was December 12th. Okay. So that was about 11 days after she was missing. He phoned the police then. Okay. That's a long time to... Right. And especially if she's pregnant with your child and she lived with you. Yeah. They're supposedly like together. He told police that she lived with him and he hadn't seen her for, you know, 11 days. Well, the next day, December 24th, he phoned the police again, but this time he gave a different address for her. And he said the last time he's seen her was December 21st. So like a few days than he originally had said. What? What? what we do know for certain is the last time anyone seen Rose was December 18th, and that was by her parents. Okay. Throughout these, this entire time, Raymond didn't seem at all worried about her disappearance. In fact, everyone said it seemed like he just didn't give a shit. Oh when God. friends asked where he thinks she might be, he said different things to people just like what? he did with Ron. Guys, issue. What the? F- okay, like obviously, no, like don't murder people. But if you're gonna murder someone, <laughs> <laughs> right? Be Tell smarter about it. <laughs> Stick with the same story. Act concern. Cry. Fake it. Be a little bit more organized. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible advice, Arena. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. So he told one person that he believed she took off to the Philippines. He told another person that she was in LA. He told another person. Okay, check this out. He told Riding another into the person. Riding no, into the sunset? <laughs> no, that she was with Ron shopping in Mexico. <laughs> the fuck? Oh my God. I shouldn't be laughing, but. <laughs> He's so an stupid. idiot. Yeah. So Raymond had a friend, Pamela, who suggested that they should start this search for Rose, you know, but he didn't want to. He would constantly avoid setting up the search and something weird to me. Well, a lot of things are weird, but right before Rose went missing, Raymond told his friend Loretta that Rose was going to be moving out in a couple of weeks because she had this really good secretarial job lined up. But that wasn't true. She never had this job lined up. And again, he's telling this to his friend Loretta while she was still living there and she hadn't been missing yet. So I think he was just trying to have this sort of like oh, um, okay. plan or not alibi. What would be the right word to say? But this story. Yeah. That, yeah. No, Basically trying to line up your alibi, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. On December 29th, Rose's partial remains were found. <gasps> In Valley Center in a really rural how's how do you say that word? I never know. Rural. (laughs) (laughs) In the mountain rural area called Valley Center. You know, I can't say oh no. (laughs) I shouldn't have said anything. Burglary. 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 Yeah. I I don't know why I try to pronounce every letter and you're not supposed to. Well, I order like this soup, this Mexican soup called Tilapeño, and it's so good and Uh um Joel and George, my maintenance guys, constantly make fun of me for it because I guess it's pronounced a different way. I don't know the proper way to pronounce it, but I constantly say <laughs> tilapeño. Tilapeño. Oh, tilapeño. Not, what, what are you not supposed to pronounce on that? I don't know. 
I, don't, I have no idea. Anyways, okay. <laughs> her remains were found in a rural area in Valley Center. Mm-hmm. And they were found in a trash bag about a mile away from where Raymond's sister lived. Okay. Remember how the last time that Rose was known, like, for a fact to be alive was by her parents on December 18th? Mm-hmm. Well, police were able to confirm that the day prior, Rose did take out, you know, that money from her account. And it was $4,600. And once Rose went missing, Raymond had some work done to one of his vehicles, which totaled a little over four grams. So I am squinting my eyes at that motherfucker. Suspish. Very. In March 1994, Raymond told his friend Kimberly that police were interrogating him about Rose's murder. And he said that they were suspicious of him. Duh. I mean, so Raymond, you know, he's of course denying having anything to do with Rose's murder, but Raymond gave Kimberly $3,000 in cash and he asked her to hold it for him. She also was holding a plane ticket that he had purchased to go to Poland where his ex-girlfriend and mother of his son lived to go visit them. Wait, who was he giving this to? Kimberly? His friend, Kimberly. Oh, okay. A friend. Okay. He also gave her his mailbox keys and passport. And he told her that since they're looking for him as a, or looking at him as a suspect, he was just afraid that if the police had seen the plane ticket that he bought to go to Poland, they would just assume that he was fleeing the country, Uh, which he probably was planning on doing that, right? And hell no. I would be like, I am not holding on to these things. Are you kidding me? Like, no, no, no. (laughs) Right. So she did, she only held on to it for a couple of weeks. Before deciding, you know what? I don't want any part of this sort of mess. And she gave it all back to him. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for Rose, the case ends up going cold because they didn't have enough evidence to charge or convict Raymond. Yeah. Wow. Which sucks so much. Yeah. Next, I'm going to talk about a woman named Beatrice Toronzak. So Beatrice was that ex-girlfriend that Raymond was going to see in Poland. She's the one that her and Raymond have a young son named Nicholas together. And she actually lives in Poland? hmm Oh, okay. Yeah, she lives in Poland. So after Nicholas, their son was born, Raymond and Beatrice, they end up breaking up. And Beatrice and Nicholas at that time is when they went back to Poland. Oh, okay. Raymond, he wanted custody of Nicholas because for whatever reason, he didn't think Beatrice parented properly, and he felt that Nicholas would be better off with him in the States. Oh, yes, a murderer. Great. (laughs) Right. In late 1995, Raymond ended up going to Poland to get Nicholas, and he returned back to San Diego with him on January 3rd of 1996. Oh, my God. What did he do with Beatrice? But Beatrice, so she ends up coming back to San Diego February 11th, Uh and she moved in with Raymond and their son, Nicholas. Well, at that time, okay, Raymond had a girlfriend named Rose McKinney, another Rose. Another? Oh, my God. And she lived with Raymond, but when Beatrice returned, Raymond, since he was a property manager, maintenance person, and an on-site, he just moved Rose to another unit, but in the same (laughs) complex. Oh, my God. That's insane. You can't trust those maintenance men. I know. They're super tricky. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This guy had long hair and played drums like 
Joel, my maintenance guy. Mm. Suspicious. <laughs> Very. <laughs> Joel's like, what the fuck? I know. <laughs> we love you, Joel. Anyways, Beatrice was only in San Diego for a week before she went missing too. Oh, God. Here we go. The last time that Beatrice was seen alive was February 18th. And like with Ron and Rose Albano, Raymond gave different stories to his friends about where he thought Beatrice could be. Where did, what did he come up with this time? I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> so he told some people that she met a Mexican dude and they took off to TJ. <laughs> and the sunset of Tijuana. <laughs> I can't he, get over that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't get over that. It's just so ridiculous. So dumb. He told another that she took off to Germany. And then he even said to another person that she took off to where you live in Vegas. Oh, okay. Again, like with the others who went missing, Raymond showed no signs that he was worried at all. And this is the mother of his child. When Beatrice's mom asked Raymond to file a missing persons report, he refused to do it. Oh, my God. I mean, that's like red flags right there. Like, also, can't anyone file a missing persons report? Yes. Well, so since Raymond refused to do it, Beatrice's mom, who, mind you, she lived in Poland and she barely spoke any English. Oh my God. And she's like worried about her daughter and grandson all the way over in the US. Oh my God. Yep. She ended up having her friend file the missing persons report on her behalf. Oh, okay. Good. So Officer Vernon Bowman with the San Diego Police Department, he received that missing persons report on March 6th. Mm Mm-hmm. The family friend told the officer that they were very concerned because Beatrice never went longer than a week without speaking to her mom. And at that point, it had been almost a month. A month, yeah. Okay. On March 11th, so that's five days after the initial missing persons report came in, Detective Rick Carlson reviewed the missing persons report. He's seen the notes that stated Beatrice had told family and friends that Raymond was abusive to her and that he had threatened to lock Beatrice in a storage unit that was in the building that he managed. Wow. Detective Carlson started doing some digging into Raymond. And that's when he discovered that Raymond had an ex-girlfriend, which is Rose Albano. Mm -hmm. She was found murdered and dismembered. And he had an ex-roommate slash friend, Ron, Mm -hmm. that went missing and was never to be found again. And that's when the alarm bells are just going off for this detective, thankfully, right? Of course. Good. Straight away, the detective phoned Raymond and asked him about Beatrice and how long she had been missing. Raymond said about a week or so, and he just said, you know what? I'm really busy. I have to go. And he hung the phone up on the detective. Oh, I'm too busy to help you find my, I don't know what, the the mother of my child. Like, Right. Jesus. The detective knew that something just wasn't right. So he ends up driving to Raymond's apartment complex and he starts knocking on his door and he gets no response. While the detective is outside of the apartment, he sees one of Raymond's neighbors and he asks the neighbors, hey, have you seen Raymond or Beatrice around recently? And the neighbor's like, no, I haven't seen them. But remembering what Beatrice's family friend said about the threats, you know, that Raymond made Mm -hmm. about locking Beatrice up in a storage unit, Uh the detective asks the neighbor if there's any storage units around. And the neighbor was like, yeah, there's three of them, but Raymond doesn't like anyone around them. (gasps) Oh, my God. 
thinking and really hoping that there was still a possibility that Beatrice could still be alive, the detective calls for backup police officers and waits for them, you know, at the apartment Mm -hmm. complex. Mm -hmm. Backup officers arrive, and as they start walking around the carport area of the complex, they see a man who's working on a red BMW. So the detective asked him, Hey, are you Raymond Rogers? And the man was like, no, I'm not Raymond, but this is his car that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. At that moment, a gold Isuzu trooper rolls up and the man steps out of the car and he says, hey, I'm Raymond Rogers. Can I help you? Okay. Detective Carlson introduces himself as like, hey, I'm the detective that you spoke to and that you hung up on. And he asked Raymond again, what do you know about Beatrice and her disappearance? Raymond gives that bullshit story about how she met some Mexican dude and she took off to TJ with him. Mm -hmm. And the detective said that Raymond's demeanor was super calm, but that's until the detective asked Raymond if he can take a look at the storage units. (gasps) At that moment, Raymond's flat portion of his neck started to throb and he got very anxious, very nervous. Oh my God. Shit's about to go down. Raymond told the officer, the detective, no, I can't let you do that. So detective was like, why not? I don't understand why you wouldn't want us to look in there unless there's something wrong in there. But Raymond, he refused to give him the key. So the detective started to worry, thinking that, you know, Beatrice can be in literal, like immediate danger inside one of those storage units. Mm -hmm. He was worried that there was a possibility that Raymond can like, make a run for it. Mm -hmm. So he had Raymond handcuffed and placed inside a cop car. He said to Raymond, you know, a lot of people are either dead or missing. What would you think about all of this if you were a police officer and I were you? And Raymond did tell him, I would think it was pretty suspicious. Oh my God. With Raymond in the police car and handcuffed and watched over by the other police officers, Detective Carlson and another police officer went over to the storage units. They broke down the first two doors and inside there were illegal narcotics and they also found Beatrice's suitcase and it was like completely packed. Uh Once they got to the third storage unit, that's when they seen a large pool of blood. Laid out across the storage unit were different tools that had dried blood on them along with human flesh. (gasps) There was a bloodied claw hammer, butcher knife, and there was a saw that had blood and biological matter on it. Oh my gosh. There was also blood splatter on the walls and a pair of rubber gloves on the floor that were all bloodied. Wow. So when the officers seen that, they decided to phone in a search warrant. So for those of you that don't know, telephonic search warrants, they're when there's an emergency situation, you contact the DA, the district attorney, who puts you in touch with the judge and you have a conference and the judge authorizes you over the phone to conduct a search of the premises with the warrant. But they got the warrant after they had already opened the storage units? Yes. So, okay. I mean, is that legal? (laughs) kind of no like you'll hear about it so i know i know they like they are allowed to search if they have like they smell or see something that's suspicious like searching a car for example right they have no real reason but i guess they could have used like oh we 
you know, saw something suspicious. We need. I mean, to- there was a missing persons report, yeah, and oh, they sure. thought she could be an immediate danger, and so they just had to make sure that yeah. she wasn't maybe alive, where they could just like rescue her, right, and help true. her. True, true. So when the judge gave the authorization, the homicide team came in and they took over the crime scene. Okay. Once inside, they came across dismembered body parts and pulled out teeth that were later identified to belong to Beatrice. Oh my God. There was a bucket and inside the bucket were Beatrice's 10 severed fingers (gasps) along with part of her jaw with some teeth still attached and there were other teeth that were just pulled out. Oh my God. Now remember that comment he made to yeah. Deborah. He said when she talked about, you know, um, if they find him, they can ID him with the extensive dental work he had done. Mm-hmm. And Raymond said that was the only mistake he had made. Yeah. So I guess he was trying to up his game and get better. Wow. Cops ended up uh, also searching Raymond's apartment and they found four firearms. And there was portions of a calendar for June of 1993 with the dates 7, 19, and 26 cut out. So I don't know what that Seven, was for. 19. And 26. Maybe birthdays? But why would they be cut out? I don't know. He never s- explained that? No. What? Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes me think, I wonder if there were others. I don't know. Maybe. Anyways, like Raymond was charged with the murders of Beatrice, Rose, Albano, and Ron. Mm-hmm. During Raymond's trial, a woman that he knew named Kelly testified. She once told Raymond, joking around, that she killed somebody just to see his reaction. <laughs> when I first read that, I was like, who the fuck does that? He's but then like- I was like, I feel like that's something I probably would do <laughs> oh yeah I, I say that all the time i mean i'm like i'm gonna fucking murder you you know but like right. as a joke like i'm gonna you know hit you like oh stop saying that shit you know right joking around so when she said that to him he asked her um if she would kill an ex-business associate of his named dixon rice he asked her what her fee would be and he showed her where dixon lived once kelly like realized that he was serious about this She ended up telling him like, hey, man, this is only a joke and I would never do anything like that. And Raymond was like, yeah, I knew that you wouldn't do something like that. I was just testing you. Ha ha. I was kidding, too. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So during the trial, Raymond's friend Loretta said that she once told Raymond that she was having problems with her husband. And Raymond told her that he knew really bad people that could get rid of a body and nobody would ever find it. Oh He's like, let me know if you need my help. Oh my God. Like, I'm having an argument with my boyfriend. You want me to kill him? <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> right. You, oh, you want to murder him? Okay. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> um, I'm no, just, I'm just venting. <laughs> right. So, something that was like, Really chilling to me. In in this case, when forensic tests were done on his Isuzu trooper, there was blood that was found underneath the carpets and upholstery. And it was human blood, but that blood never (gasps) matched like any of the victims that he was convicted of killing. So we don't know who that blood belonged to. Oh, no. And also, you said Isuzu trooper? Mm -hmm. That's the same car from the 
episode I just did of the Stay <gasps> Family. The, That's right. The white trooper that got um, impounded at the border. Then That's they right. Went to That's crazy. So we need to, yeah, we need to be careful <laughs> with the people with the Isuzu's. <laughs> I don't think I've seen an Isuzu. Actually, I was going to say I don't think I've seen. I mean, are they are they replaced by Subarus? I know, like, yeah, were they bought out? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) So the prosecution's case, they were advocating for the death penalty. They brought up all of the evidence that points to Raymond in the murders of Rose Albano and Beatrice, but they also introduced evidence of two other uncharged batteries. Okay. So one was from 1994 when Raymond was in a woman named Rose Sullivan's apartment. Okay. okay so, you know, Wait. Rose again. This is a different, is the, the third, third Rose? Rose. What the hell? Do you think he does this on purpose? I mean, if your name is Rose, you would have been a target for Raymond. I know. <laughs> All the Roses out there, be careful. Mm-hmm. What the hell? So Raymond went to her apartment to repair something in her bathroom because, you know, he was an on-site property manager slash maintenance man. Mm -hmm. He went to her her apartment and when Rose was standing in back of Raymond while he was looking at whatever it was in the bathroom, suddenly Raymond turns around. He lifts up her shirt, grabs her boobs and starts to kiss her. Uh, 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 (laughs) What? the fuck right what the fuck she pushes him away and he just left her apartment and for whatever reason she didn't mention anything at that time what she didn't say anything oh my god poor thing right she must have been terrified right and then it's probably because like she's like well he's a property manager of the complex that i live yeah right if i tell the police or something right and the second happened in March of 1995. He had that a girlfriend named Rose McKinney. I don't know if this is like they were broken up at that time or when this happened, but he goes into her apartment through, I think it was, it must have happened when they broke up, maybe. Um, he goes into her apartment through the patio door while she's out, you know, with a friend named Preston and TJ. Okay. So they're out in TJ. Raymond the creep breaks into her apartment and he's hiding in her bedroom closet. Uh. Rose and Preston come back from TJ. They go into Rose's bed to go to sleep or whatever. And while they're in bed, Rose gets phone calls from someone whispering things that were just too faint for her to understand what the caller was saying. Yeah. And finally, I think it was the, I think it was the third phone call that she was able to recognize a voice and hear what was being said. And it was Raymond. And he whispered to her, get that man off of your bed. (gasps) Rose gets up from the bed. She goes to the living room to see if Raymond's in there. Raymond's pissed off. They start pushing each other around. He rips off her tank top. Preston runs out of the apartment. He's like, bye. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, hell no. Get the fuck out of here. I mean, I think I do that. But he ends up phoning the police, okay? Uh Uh-huh. Once police arrive, they end up um, handcuffing Raymond. They put him in custody. I don't know how long he spent in there. I don't know if it was just like hours, days, weeks. But anyways, once the police took Raymond away, Preston goes back into the apartment and he found his shoes and shorts cut up and in the dishwasher. (laughs) What? 
<laughs> Wait, Raymond did that or did Rose? Uh, it was Raymond. He did he that to Preston's belongings because he was pissed that Rose was with Preston. What the hell? That's so, that's kind of funny. He was just like, it's like fight or flight. He's like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. And and I've been guilty of doing stuff like that. Even when I should be helping someone, I run the opposite. Oh. Well, mostly like only if it involves vomit. If it's vomit, I can't see oh. that shit. Like you I've know, told you before, I think. Yeah. Oh I run gosh. the opposite way. Um, this reminds me of a story. My friend, Liana, she was, I don't know where she was. She was with her boyfriend and like, she saw that someone, something was running towards them. And instead of like, I guess, grabbing him and moving him out of the way or something, she runs and then <laughs> like, she just, she literally ran. She's like, I never run so fast in my life and left her boyfriend. <laughs> he turns around and sees that she's like, like yards away already. He's like, "Hey, what the hell?" And she's like, "Liana, what? what the fuck?" No, I feel her. I feel her. It's a whole I mean, fight or flight. Yeah, survival of the fittest. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so, anyways, the defense's case was, you know, oh, like I should mention also, Raymond. He was adopted. Okay. Oh. Okay. So Raymond's biological family had the last name of Franks. And his adopted family, his adoptive family had the last name Rogers. Okay. So Raymond was adopted by the Rogers family. And it was said it was only because of Raymond's parents' finances and not having enough money to raise Raymond. At, at least that's according to what the defense is saying. Okay. Okay. So they also had a few of Raymond's longtime friends testify and they said great things about Raymond saying he was kind, happy. He was a hard worker. Defense even had Raymond psychologically evaluated and their psychiatrist said that Raymond didn't fit the profile of a serial killer. The defense said that Raymond had no reason to kill any of the victims and that there was other people who had a motive, but not Raymond. What? He definitely had motives for all three. These fuckers had the audacity to throw Raymond's girlfriend, Rose McKinney, into it. They said that Rose McKinney had the motive to kill Beatrice because remember when Beatrice moved back to San Diego with Raymond? Out of like jealousy and... Right. Wow. Hell no. That's fucked up. It is. But thankfully, you know, ultimately the jury found Raymond guilty of first degree murder for the two women and guilty of second degree murder in the case of Ron. Okay. Raymond automatically appealed to the state Supreme Court saying that the initial warrantless police search into the storage units that they were unlawful. But the court disagreed because they said the police did the right thing in entering the storage unit because Uh, number one, there was a missing persons report for uh Beatrice. And number two, there was a possibility that Beatrice could still be alive. Oh, okay. So that so, answers my question. Yeah, because I was like, oh, they got the search warrant after. But okay. Yeah, that's, that's good, though. I mean, that makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So Raymond right now is housed in San Quentin prison where he's going to spend the remainder of his life. Yep. They all go to San Quentin. All these psychos. Yep. Arena, arena. So here is something wild. Okay. Uh-huh. And doing my research for this case, I decided to go to Reddit to see if I would come across anything that was interesting. Well, I did. Okay. I typed in Raymond Rogers and I came across this post from a woman named Sandy Toronto. And the title said, 
the possible link between Raymond Rogers and the unsolved murder of Marie Ann Watson. Uh-huh. When I came across that, I was like, what the fuck? Who, who's Marie Ann Watson? Uh-huh. And how was Raymond possibly linked to her disappearance? Uh-huh. Because I didn't read any of this in like the, um, I got a lot of my information from like the court documents. Mm-hmm. So Marie Ann Watson, she went missing in 1977. Damn, okay. that was a long time ago. Raymond was 17 years old at that time. Oh, okay. Now remember Raymond, he was adopted. Raymond was Sandy's foster brother at that time. <gasps> what? So I was like, what the hell? Oh my gosh. So Sandy's Marie's biological daughter. Uh-huh. The woman that's missing. And in 1974, when Sandy was three years old, her mom, Marie Ann Watson, lost custody of Sandy and Sandy's half-brother named Jack. Apparently, Marie had been put in jail for prostitution, possession of drugs, and Sandy and her brother ended up with their aunt, Dorothy, and Mike Rogers. Oh, okay. And that was in Emmett, Idaho. So the agreement between Marie and the Rogers was once Marie got out of jail, she would get her children back. Uh-huh. Well, when Sandy was four years old, Marie was released from jail and immediately Sandy um and immediately Marie tried to get her children back, but Dorothy and Mike Rogers refused to give the children back. Oh, it shit. was like this long and ugly custody battle that dragged on for two years. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. During that custody battle is when Marie goes missing. So, like I mentioned, that was in 1977. Raymond was 17 years old. And I know there's like a lot of people in this case. So, I feel like it can yeah. be confusing to some people. Mm-hmm. You know, just a reminder that Sandy and Raymond were adoptive siblings at that time. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I'm going to read you the details of Marie's disappearance. And I got this information from the Charlie Project website. Okay. So this is what they wrote. Marie was last seen in Gem County, Idaho on November 21st, 1977. At the time of her disappearance, she was involved in a custody dispute over her two children aged eight and six. They had been living with foster parents, Mike and Dorothy Rogers, and Marie had visitation. The Rogers cared for five other children. They changed the children's name and had them refer to Marie as their aunt. Marie repeatedly tried to regain custody before she disappeared. So it's said that two days before Marie was to be granted like legal custody of her kids is when she went missing. (gasps) Oh, shit. Okay. Dorothy Rogers. Okay. So Raymond Rogers' adoptive mom was the last person that seen Marie Ann Watson alive. Oh, my God. Dorothy said, this is what she says, okay? So, she said that she and Marie went to a town in Oregon together in Dorothy's car to pick up records from a psychiatrist that um, that evaluated Sandy to see if Sandy was being sexually abused. Oh, okay. Dorothy said that because of the weather, which she said it was snowing, the car slid off of the road and into a snowbank. Dorothy said that when that happened, there was this dark colored car pull up in front of them and Marie walked over to that car, 
got into it and drove away with the driver of the car who she said was this dirty looking man. But apparently, when further investigated, there wasn't any snow that day, and there was no recent rain. <gasps> oh, my God. What the heck? This is, like, exactly what Raymond does. Right. So, heck? soon after, Marie's car was found parked in a local diner with her ID, wallet, and uncashed paycheck inside. Oh, shit. And you know what sucks? Like, it appears that... The police believe that Marie's disappearance wasn't a matter of concern because she was a former prostitute Mm -hmm. and she was charged with drug possession. So they assumed that she just ran off. Yeah. Yeah. That she was just like super like, oh, it doesn't really matter. She, She put herself in that situation kind of a thing. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, the case grew cold. And it's just such bullshit because yeah. prostitutes, they're human too. Of course. They deserve justice. And I hate to say this, but I feel that if it were someone else that we're missing that maybe came from a higher social status oh, yeah. or something, oh, that yeah. case would be more looked into. Definitely. That's awful. Wow. It so is. She, so nothing came of that then? That it was a cold case? <gasps> it, it, it goes cold. So something to mention also is... A year after Marie's disappearance, in June 1997, Mike Rogers, which was Raymond's adoptive dad, he was charged with raping his 14-year-old adopted daughter. Oh, my God. Was it Sally? Or- um, Sa- her name's Sandy. It wasn't Sandy's- Sandy. It was oh. a different um, oh. chi- adopted child. <gasps> so he and Dorothy, they ended up fleeing, and they took... You know, the children, which included Sandy and her half-brother Jack, um, they end up fleeing and they take the kids with them. Uh-huh. Later, they were located in Arkansas and the tr- the Rogers were arrested and the children were taken into protective custody and put into foster homes. Okay. Mike did end up ple- pleading guilty to the rape of his daughter and he and Dorothy ended up divorcing. Mm-hmm. But Dorothy, based off of these things that Sandy says, they both were awful people. Yeah, okay? it sounds like it. So the shady ass shit. She talks about the abuse that she went through in that home. And it's just so disgusting oh, the way no. that they treated her, Arena. It's just that's so, awful. so sad. Not only like, obviously, that's awful for anyone to go through, but they're hoping that they're finally finding a family that they can be with and you know foster kids and like they're just being abused like that's so awful right and i think that sandy and jack they were in foster homes for about a year but eventually marie's parents um you know marianne watson the missing woman her parents leon and lucille baxter they end up gaining custody of them okay so they go with the grandparents grandparents okay like I mentioned, the case goes cold, um, and I think it went, yeah, it went cold for about two decades. And then in 1996, when Raymond was arrested and ultimately convicted of the murders, you know, yeah. of um, the two women and Ron, Marie's case was opened up again. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Sandy was contacted by the police, and they showed up to her home, which was Florida, in Florida, And when officers told Sandy about what Raymond did and how he had dismembered some of the victims, Sandy told them that he learned that from their adoptive parents. I believe it. Yep. 
he had Sandy, learned it from someone. Yep. Sandy told police that she's seen Raymond Rogers and her adoptive parents dismember her mom, Marie. Oh my God. And she was like, she was like, what, eight or nine at the time? Six. Six. Oh my God. So she remembered seeing her mom in a teal colored shirt. Well, when the investigators, they end up going to the Rogers home that, you know, that they lived in during that time when Marianne Watson goes missing. Uh-huh. And the investigating team, they dug up some of the foundation. And when they did that, they found human remains and a teal colored shirt wrapped around the bones, like what Sandy remembered. And you know what sucks so much is Sandy, when she went to live with her grandparents, she told her grandparents, she told her grandma what she's seen. And the grandma was like, don't ever say anything like that again. You seen something like that in a movie like this is not true. Nobody believed her. That's that sucks. That's awful. Because I know kids, like, they have crazy imaginations and stuff, but yeah, that is definitely something to look into, especially when a, fr- a person is missing. Right. Like, literally, who knows what happened to her? And she, this little girl's like, I saw something. Like, geez. And nothing was done from it. Oh, my God. And this poor woman has been, this whole time is like, I know what happened, but no one's going to listen to me. Right. Wow. So you would think that, okay, that right there is all the proof that they need. You know, they're going to charge Raymond and the Rogers with the murder of Marie Ann Watson. But no, the testing on the bones and the teal shirt, they were inconclusive. And the investigation just stopped. I did read um, that the bones did come back, that they belonged to a Caucasian woman, which Marie Ann Watson was. And they thought that she might have been 27 years old, which Marianne Watson was 28 years old at the time, but still. Yeah. What about like, and I mean, did they say anything about like dental records? Is they, or were the teeth pulled out? <laughs> but, um, you know what? I don't think they came across any teeth. Wow. Well, well, remember actually, because part of her was fed to pigs. What? Or I didn't mention that. I'm sorry. No, what? Oh, <laughs> Right. So let me read you this. Okay. So, so there's a minor detail. (laughs) (laughs) So, so there's this user on Reddit. Okay. So first off, I should mention that, um, Sandy created a subreddit that is called Marie Ann Watson. Mm -hmm. And she puts all of the information that she can find in about her mother's case in this subreddit. Okay, but there was a user on this subreddit by the name of Antipodin, and Antipodin did a great write-up on this case and its timeline. And in this write-up, Antipodin writes on what Sandy's seen when she was only six years old and seen her mom get dismembered. And I'm going to read it to you because this is what Sandy talks about, about, you know, her memory of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it says... She saw Marie being carried into the house by Mike Rogers. At that time, she saw him carrying her bride style. Rocky, another one of the foster kids, also claimed that he had seen Mike carrying her. He said that Mike carried her over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes. The second memory she has is seeing Marie in a false cabinet In the upstairs storage room, there was a cabinet at the back of a shelf. 
this cabinet was supposed to be secret. It was where Mike kept his guns. Sandy remembers Marie being in a fetal position, and she was definitely dead. The third memory is being outside, crouched at the corner of the house, watching them dismember her using an electrical saw. Sandy remembers Mike, Dorothy, Raymond, and there was two other men. It was night. She saw her mother's fall arm fall out from behind Dorothy's body and into a pool of light. So, my God, if I remember correctly, Sandy, she kind of like was late at night, and I think she heard noises, and she kind of like snuck out of the room, and that's just when she's seen all of that take oh place. Oh my God, that's insane! And it was also said that Marie was fed to pigs because I don't remember if it was directly on the property if it, or if it was right across, but there was a pig pen there. Oh my God. <gasps> Right. It's sad. So now I'm going to read to you a part from one of Sandy's posts that are on that subreddit. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, according to Dorothy, it was just her and Marie in the car the day that she, that Marie went missing and she's Uh right. So she said it was just them two alone. And she said that they were in Dorothy's car. Now, this is what Sandy says. Um, According to Tom Nesbitt, the investigating officer in the 1996 investigation, remember that's when Raymond got caught, mm-hmm. um, they now think that Raymond was in the car with my mother and Dorothy. Dorothy made up a stupid, nonsensical story about going off of the road and Marie getting out of the car and into another vehicle that pulled up nearby. The sheriff accepted it without at least checking into it. However, the investigation indicates that Raymond was in the car in the back seat when Raymond when I'm sorry when Dorothy and Marie started to argue. Raymond allegedly slit my mother's throat from the back seat. Oh. After that, Dorothy and Mike were forced to help him dispose of her. So, you know, when Dorothy gave her story to the police, she said they were in her car, but I think that was just to avoid them, you know, so, you know, if they decided to search her car, they weren't going to find any evidence of anything bad happening in it because it was, okay, so watch. Actually, I think I'm going ahead of myself. Let me just mention (laughs) another thing that Sandy said is she always remembered seeing black and white seats and there was blood on them. And she didn't exactly know why she had that memory, what it was from, but she did Tell the cops about this memory. It turns out that Raymond's car had cow hide seat covers that were black and white. And if Raymond did slit her throat, the blood could have been everywhere. And, you know, it was said that it happened in Raymond's car and not Dorothy's. Where? Okay. So I just can't even imagine, you know, everything that poor Sandy, like, just these memories, right? Yeah, and then like no one believing her, and her probably thinking like, "Oh, did I just like make this up?" You know, did you start I doubting yourself after a while? Like, right? Am I really like this messed up in the head? Like, right? Dang. And so, like, if you want to read more about Marie Ann Watson, I suggest going to that subreddit that Sandy created. It's literally Marie Ann Watson altogether. She gathered up as much info as she can as she could. And um, 
in it, you can actually find newspaper articles that were posted on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a post that Sandy made and it had pictures that the investigating officer sent to her of Marie's belongings, which I think came from Marie's abandoned car at the diner. Huh. Anyway, one of those pictures is of some needlework, like embroidery that Marie did, which was of some deer and a horse. And Marie was really good at it. So it's just, I think it's kind of nice to be able to see something about Marie, like yeah, something. Know something about her besides her being a prostitute that was in jail and her trying to get her kids back, basically. Yes. And Human in being. those pictures, um, were some Edgar Allan Poe books. So Marie liked reading Edgar Allan Poe. Mm -hmm. And there's also in that subreddit, there's an essay that was posted on there that Marie um, did. And she talked about being raised Seventh-day Adventist. And she talks about how she always wanted to be a boy more than anything in the world because her parents were super, super strict and boys had paper routes and they didn't have to go home right after school. Yeah. Um, they were treated I don't differently. Know. <laughs> yes. And like someone mentioned on that post about how pretty Marie's penmanship was. Mm-hmm. And, and they were right. Like Marie had this really nice penmanship. So it was just like nice to see another thing about her. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, I suggest going to that subreddit if you want more info on the case because there's some other things that I might be leaving out. Mm-hmm. I ended up writing to Sandy on Reddit. Oh really? And I told her that I was gonna do a podcast on Raymond Rogers and she was very supportive of it. Oh she responded. Okay. Yes. And you know, I also ended up like going through that subreddit that, you know, Sandy manages and I just see how she responds to everyone on it. And she just seems to be such a nice person, despite everything that she's been through, you know, she just seems really kind. And she did tell me that she had a lot to overcome inside herself, but self-help has really helped her decide what kind of person she chooses Mm -hmm. to be versus what kind of person has always been expected of her. And I did end up asking her what her favorite memories are of her mom. Look at you, Miss Journalism over here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So this is what she said. Sadly, I have very, very few memories of her. So they're all precious. I remember her saving me from sexual abuse. She didn't know that she had, but but he started to abuse me. And she called for me from outside and he stopped. I remember playing Don't Touch the Ground with her and her half-brother Jack. There were tires laid out in a pattern. If you And if you tried to jump from one to the other and you hit the ground and she caught you while your feet were on the ground, you were out. Mm-hmm. She said, I think it's called The Ground is Lava, but I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> She said, I remember her hair and I remember laying with my back against her chest while her arms were around me and I looked at the freckles on her arm. She, like me, was super freckly. I have really vague memories of her sometimes, I think, from the visitations because there was two years that, you know, she did have Mm -hmm. those visitations. She said... I do remember her arguing with a man in her house while my brother and I hid in a closet. I believe they were pre-jail, though. 
I think the man she was arguing with was her first husband, Jack Roach. Not my favorite memory at all, but I remember being on the porch and begging her to run away with us and live in the woods. That's it, sadly. Those are my memories. She said, we did get to see her sometimes during the custody battle. She had shared custody, especially there towards the end. Oh, that's so sad. But also, like, so precious of her memories of her mom. And the freckles. Like, I just think that's such a sweet memory, right? We all have that memory of, like, you know, laying on our parents, like, on their lap or against their, their chest and them, like, you know, hugging us and stuff and, like, playing with our hair and whatnot. Yep. Those are, like, the best memories. Because you best. felt so safe. Yes. And so loved. So loved. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to mention that Sandy, she did write a book that's called Dandelion Child. Mm-hmm. I did purchase the book. I purchased it through smashwords.com. And I believe there was three different links that you can order it. Um I got mine downloaded as an Apple book, but I think it would send you to Amazon. So I believe oh, okay. Amazon has this book. I think it was like 11 or $12. Oh, okay. So I'm going to say that it's, it's a really, really hard book to read uh, because she talks about everything that she went through in the Rogers home. Mm. And I haven't gotten through the entire book. I read about half of it and it's, it's just hard. And she does mention in the author's note section of the book that, you know, it's unedited, yeah. but she said it was too hard for her to edit. And can you blame her? No, of course. Yeah. That's, and that's another part of her, her self care and therapy is to write all this out. And hopefully it'll help someone out there to try to get out of that situation or know that they're not alone. Yes. And I, I did like, you know, the way she came up with the name Dandelion Child is she said in Sweden, there's a social tradition in which children who suffer horrible childhoods but thrive regardless, they're called Dandelion Children. And that's Aww. how she got the name of the book. Oh, that's awesome. That's a really cool title. It is. And I think that, and by the way, I should say like my favorite tea to drink is also like Tandy Lion, <laughs> like root. Yeah. So okay. anyways. Um, <laughs> Forager. <laughs> right. You know me and my foraging. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, just real quick. I saw that post. <laughs> Your family is hilarious. They are wild. They're Maria so talking about, funny. oh, Renette, we have a Christmas tree. <laughs> You know, Come forage it and you can get some berries and make tea out of it. Make, no, she said make soup. And I was like, bitch, okay, just so you know, I did collect the needles from the, <laughs> the Christmas tree and cinnamon sticks and I put it on my candle, candle burner as potpourri. Okay, so I sure did for it. <laughs> That's just so funny. Oh yeah. my God. Assholes. Anyways, <laughs> but I love them. Uh, but I just think Sandy's really brave for doing something like that, you know, writing the book. And I feel that I'm sure her mom is very proud of her for doing this. Yes, of course. As difficult as it is to read, it just, for me, I think it, it reminds us to open our eyes and, you know, do better when we see something that's not right, speak up. Mm -hmm. Let's do better for these children. I think like, especially social workers, teachers, daycare workers. Those are the people especially that should have a copy of this book. And like, honestly, if a child comes up to you and starts saying things like, 
I don't feel comfortable around this person or I don't feel safe or I don't like this person. There is no reason for a child to not like an adult unless for a good reason. There's no, absolute no reason. So like, and a lot of kids go unheard and they, shit happens to them and it's too late and yeah, definitely need to work on that. Yeah. Well, that's it for this case. Um, A really sad case, but I really appreciate Sandy even responding to me. I really love the fact that she went and wrote this, wrote this book. I know, I feel that her mom has got to be so proud of her for what she, she's doing and trying to get her mom this justice because like Sandy does say, she knows her mom loved her and her mom did love her. And yeah, I mean, again, Sandy just seems so nice and she could have turned out to be very different, right? Yeah, and rest in peace to her, to Marie, Ron, Rose, and Beatrice. All rest in peace to all of those victims, and who knows who else else? could have been a victim, right? Exactly. With the what was that blood that was found in his car? They they don't know. They don't know. But uh, thank you to everyone who listens to this podcast. Yes, thank you. And thank you, Renette. This was a really good. And I'm so glad you, you, you've been talking to the um, actual like victims, you know, family members lately. So yeah, and- because I, you know, it's like, well, maybe she's probably not going to respond. And I yeah, totally understand if she didn't want to, but she was just so like, um, she was super supportive that we were going to do an episode on this case. And so it just made me really yeah. happy. And I really suggest, or I really recommend to people who want to learn more about this case to go to her subreddit, mm-hmm. buy a copy of her book. And um, again, thank you to everyone for listening to this podcast. If you can rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff helps us. And follow us on Instagram. That's right. What is it again, Arena? A true underscore crime podcast. Underscore podcast. <laughs> yes. I didn't T-R-U-C-R-Y-M. Yes. Again, thank you everyone for listening. Bye. Thank you. Bye. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs>